Beavs get by the Aztecs and open up conference play with the Cougs, a big matchup on the Palouse. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Beaver Man Beat Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to week four of the college football season. That's kind of crazy. We are already 25% of the way through the regular season. And things are not going to slow down from here on out as the Pac-12 gets into its conference play, as do all of the other conferences around the league. SEC got a bit of a head start last week because they sneaked that non-conference game in, I think, on week 9 or 10. Um, But it is here. The kind of peak of the competition starts in week 4 is a slate that exhibits that flawlessly six top 25 matchups. I read on Twitter this morning that that is the most since... Um, I think it was week six in 2006 where there were seven uh, matchups head-to-head between top 25 teams, and it is a real doozy. We will jump into week four and get some predictions and picks going there, but first we will take a peek back at week three, the closer of the non-conference slate and kind of a sleeper for quite a bit of schools. Not a lot of good games, and if it was a close game, that probably means it wasn't a um, I don't want to say entertaining, but a very, you know, not, there wasn't a lot of football skill and prowess being shown. Um, that is a shot towards the Stanford-Sac State game as Sac State gets the FCS over FBS upset with a 30-23 to victory against Stanford, uh, outscoring them in the second half 13-9 to uh, fend them off as they took the halftime lead uh, by three there. Fresno State took down Arizona State, and Arizona State, I think, is done. I am ready to put the done chain on Arizona State. I think they have already won their last football game of the season. Um, Barring any crazy upsets, the the desert's always a tricky place to play. But taking a look at their schedule now, I don't think anybody besides Arizona has it tougher than them right now. They've got USC on the road. Uh, We'll get into that later, but that's a loss. And then they host Cal, and then they rattle off a stretch of six consecutive ranked opponents, at least as of today, uh, with Colorado, Washington, Washington State, Utah, UCLA, Oregon, before finally coming back home and taking on Arizona in the Territorial Cup. That is a brutal stretch, and I don't see any wins in there for a lowly Arizona State football team that, that really got demolished by Fresno State. Eight turnovers. For the uh, Sun Devils there, um, and somebody read—I think Josh Pate read this off on his podcast yesterday. So uh, I've got to do the same here, just because it is fascinating. Here is it under the GameCast, where they have a kind of rundown of every single one of their drives. So let's see. Arizona State started the game: interception, fumble, fumble, turnover on downs, interception. Halftime, so not great. And then came out of halftime and went punt, interception, fumble, punt, interception, punt, interception, end of game. It doesn't get much worse than that, folks. That is awful. Their team stats uh, read here on really an abysmal day. They had 230 total yards, only 42 on the ground. And eight turnovers. They lost the turnover battle eight to zero. So there's a lot of places to go for Arizona State. I just don't think any of those places will be too far up from where they were at 
uh, against Fresno there. Fresno looks good. Completed an undefeated non-conference slate where they'll go into now uh, their Mountain West play and get into that. Elsewhere around the Pac-12, Oregon and Washington took care of their opponents. I think probably as expected. I think maybe with that Michigan State game going into the week, that was kind of the marquee matchup for uh, at least Pac-12's sake. Games it would be good to watch. And uh, that game was over pretty quickly as Washington just kind of put their foot down and ran away. Utah took care of their FCS opponent in Weber State. Still without Cam Rising, and it does not seem like he's going to be ready to go for UCLA. Um, so factor that in when you're thinking about that game. However, it is being played at Rice-Eccles. So I don't know, lots of factors to go on there in a tricky betting line, I think four and a half. So it'll be interesting to see kind of where that one lies. It'll be a, a fantastic game to tune into. Uh, Colorado and Colorado State was probably the game of the week for the Pac-12. We'll wrap on that one. Uh, Washington State absolutely took care of Northern Colorado. UCLA the same with North Carolina Central. Idaho gave Cal a run for their money up at halftime. They were actually up in this game 17 to nothing, I believe. Um, finally, when Cal turned it on and scored 31 unanswered to win that game, 31-17. Uh, and then Arizona took care of UTEP 31-10. to I think that's a game similar to the San Diego State and Oregon State game that you know the home team, the FBS team, or the Power 5 team should win. And there's just a little bit of a question mark. Uh, and then uh, they come out and kind of show you exactly why it is that they were predicted to win and the favorite. They, they took care of what they needed to do, a sign of any good football team, as Arizona gets by with a 21-point victory and Oregon State takes care of San Diego State 26-9. to Not the cleanest game we've seen from the Beavers so far this season, coming off of two games where starters barely saw any second-half play. Uh, this, I suppose, is the first true touchdown that the Beavers' defense, starting-wise, has given up, as there was that one in Week 1, but that was off of a blocked punt, so the field position was uh, tough to deal with for the defense there. Uh, we'll jump definitely more into this to kind of bridge us from last week to the, this coming Saturday. Uh, but we got to talk about the Colorado-Colorado State game. Double overtime, and I don't know what the uh, name of that rivalry is, but the Colorado-Colorado State went into extra time to decide it. It was real interesting with the overtimes. Colorado won the toss and then elected to start with the ball for college overtime. If you're not familiar with how college overtime works, it's similar to like an MLB game or a baseball game where uh, both teams will have an opportunity to score like a top in the inning, bottom of the inning. Uh, and if one doesn't match the other or if one scores and the other's done, uh, the game is just over. Uh, so one team starts on offense, one on defense. And usually when you go to the second overtime, those flip. Uh, however, the kind of the writing of the rule is actually that whoever won the coin toss gets to decide, decide for the first overtime. And whoever won the second coin toss or whoever lost the coin toss gets to decide for the second overtime. So with Colorado electing to start with the ball, which is uh, usually you take defense so you can kind of see what you have to do. Uh, in order to keep it going or win, Colorado takes the ball, scores touchdown. Colorado State gets the ball, scores touchdown. Goes to second overtime. Everybody assumes that Colorado State is now coming out on offense, and Colorado comes back out because it was Jay Norvell's chance uh, to choose, and obviously he took defense. So I'm not sure what the thinking was of the Colorado team there. I don't know if that was a Dion call or if it was just a captain out at the coin toss, uh, but it worked out for them as they are able to escape from their from their home in Boulder with a 43-35 victory, uh, and will move on to conference play. They've got a tricky one as they go to Eugene and take on the Ducks. 
But now getting into the Beaver game of the week, 26-9 is the final score there. DJU finishes with a season-high 284 passing yards on 14 completions, 30 attempts, so a bit of a drop down there. We'll get definitely into that. Damian Martinez broke the century mark for the third time this year, getting to 102. It was funny, when they were coming out for that final drive, I was looking and I saw they didn't have Damian out in... Uh, I'm now I'm scouring the sidelines, seeing where he's at, and I see him run up to John Smith and say something to him. Smith says something, he puts his helmet on, and he runs out to the huddle. So my best guess there is that Martinez said, come on, coach, let me get to 100. And uh, he gave him that because it was true. Once Martinez hit the 102 mark, um, he came out and did not receive the field of play for the rest of the night. Uh, Anthony Gould, three yards shy of said century mark, where he came in at 97. Um, pumped up by that 75-yard tunnel screen touchdown pass um, that really put the game away for the Beavers. Not the prettiest game, and we'll get into kind of what went down, what transpired here in it, and re-watching the game. Uh, I was watching it, I was at the stadium for the game and then watching it again uh, yesterday. Just trying to look and see exactly why it was that, you know, DJ missed more than half of his passes through his first two interceptions of the season. Uh, and that offense kind of got thrown off a little bit. But I, the biggest takeaway that I took is it, it's very much so kind of almost an overreaction to say that the Oregon State team faltered here. Uh, they still put up 475 yards of offense. Damian Martinez still cruised for 100 yards on 15 carries. And Martinez, or I'm sorry, Uyunglele still threw for 284. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of good things to take away from this game. Obviously, some of these numbers inflated there. Fenwick had a nice day on the yard, on the ground. He rushed for almost 50 yards, averaging 4.9 a carry. Uh, almost 200 yards on the ground there as well. Saw a lot of people get involved in the passing game and some big-time pickups. Uh, as The game was kind of always in control for the Beavers. They might have, like, I don't know. I think the closest this ever was was 16-9. to No. It was 16 to, or I'm sorry, 12 to 3 was the closest that this game ever was. Um, and it, that was the halftime score. San Diego State scored one, the field goal late at half, a 51 yard of the windows at his back. Um, but I don't know. This, this is one that I think we expected to see the Beavers maybe run away with this a little bit more, and that's not quite what they got. But I think this is a nice tune up. I think you have a little bit of the fact that they possibly looking ahead one week to Washington State after Washington State took uh, that game from Wisconsin that kind of maybe moved the circle on the Beavers' calendar up a week and made them really focus in on that Washington State game rather than just preparing for Utah. But with that being said, they were still able to go out, take care of business. Uh, San Diego State could put together you know, a drive here and get across the 50, and then they'd get across the 50 and go backwards twice in a row um, with the nine tackles for loss that the Beavers were able to rack up this week. Six of them sacks have a... Day, Andrew Chatfield Jr., two sacks. Those are his tackles for loss. He also had an additional two tackles. And I I don't know, I, that's what the stat sheet says, but I almost feel like there's more there than that. It felt like he was all over the field on Saturday. And I expect for them to have a really important part in this upcoming game against Washington State. Uh, on the uh, San Diego State side, their quarterback, we, we knew coming in that he was going to want to run the ball. Uh, he went 20 for 32 with 256 yards through the air, through the interception to Akili Arnold in the end zone. Uh, spectacular grab there. Um, and he also picked up really just that first carry was his big run. 
Uh, I think he got 27 on his first carry there. It was a third down play, I believe, a uh, read option, and then he went nowhere but backwards after that as he finished with just nine yards on 14 carries, and that includes all the sacks. Um, so th- that's one thing that kind of stood out to me was that if this offense can't operate at the level that we've seen it in weeks one and two, the defense is as stout as ever to kind of protect against that. That is the the, the bonus of having a team that can work effectively on offense and defense and something that is going to play in a huge factor this coming weekend against Washington State. I think this weekend's game is going to be a big time. Uh, it's all going to be centered around time. Who's got the ball? How long they have got possession? And which offense is on the field? Because both offenses are prime and poised to break out and put up some points on the scoreboard. San Diego State drops to 2-2. Two and two. Uh, I bet you they'll have a bye week coming up here soon before they get too deep into Mountain West play. Uh, a, a decent program there. Two Pac-12 losses uh, blemish their schedule so far, and they'll look to right the ship in conference play. Uh, but Fresno State's going to be a tough team to take down in the Mountain West with two Power 5 wins themselves, um, although one was over Arizona State. Uh, all in all, DJ's accuracy was kind of a glaring issue from the stands. I'm sure it was on TV as well. And after watching, one of the things that we saw today, or Saturday at least, that we hadn't seen was San Diego, San Diego State was finally able to get a little bit of pressure on to Oregon State and their offensive line. And DJ, I don't know, I think the offensive line will be the first to tell you that they didn't play the strongest game. Uh, Joshua Gray had a touchdown so and also have helped lead uh, an offense to 475 yards. But I, I think him and the other captains would step right up and say that uh, they could be a little bit tighter, a little bit more vocal on calling out plays and, and what they're seeing on the defensive side of things. Um, a penalty on the first drive really, really stumped everything out. The tripping call on Josh Gray backed him up 15, and they were never really able to recover from that. But uh, first and 25, that's that's a daunting task looking on a short field at that as well. So um, just one of those things that I think it's good to have that game uh, where your team comes out a little flat to 12.30 kickoff. Everything just felt a little off around the stadium, uh, whether that be due to the PA systems or whatnot. It just seemed like the energy wasn't quite there. Uh, the students aren't in town yet. The student section was rather empty. Um, which, I mean, that's what you, the students aren't there. You're playing a team you're expected to blow out. Uh, it's a 12.30 kick. These kids are probably all still waking up from going out the night before. And it was 90 degrees. It was a scorcher in the sun. So to kind of get to that game and have it be 12 to 3 at half and you're sitting in the 90-degree sun, uh, I think a lot of people kind of packed it in and went home, especially if they're living in Corvallis. So... What what I was going with that is it's nice to have that game and get it out of the way and be able to still win handily. Uh, to win ugly is a big thing, but to win ugly comfortably is a really good sign. And I think this defense showed that they can do that and keep opponents' offenses from putting too much pressure on them when their offense is stifling a little bit. Uh, but like I said, still a pretty good game from the Beavers number-wise if you just take a look at it. And you just see that they were 475 total yards, 284, and almost 200 on the ground. Pretty balanced attack. Would you like to see uh, turnovers got a little up there um, for Oregon State standards? I, I guess in the last couple weeks with four for 40 yards this week, but uh, not too bad there. A lot less secondary penalties, which we saw kind of become a problem in weeks one and two. 
Um, but I think that we're starting to see that figured out as Jermod McCoy actually got a little bit of run over uh, Tyrese Ivey uh, late into the second half, and then he continued to play through the second half. So maybe a, a battle brewing at the cornerback position. Uh, I will say it'll be important for the Beavers to get that figured out this week in practice before having to take on this Washington State Cougars team, a 3-0 and team out of Poland, Washington, which is a tough place to play. Wisconsin got to see it firsthand. North Colorado got to see it firsthand. Um, a team that can put up points, and, and it kind of reads a little bit similarly to Oregon State's schedule here. You got your uh, Mountain West opponent. They bloodied Colorado State 50-24, to which is pretty eye-opening after you see them take Colorado to two overtimes, and then put up 31 against Wisconsin in a hard-fought battle there, and then 64 against their FCS opponent. Um so it's gonna be it's gonna be a hell of a game. There, there's really no way kind of around that. It's, if you're looking for a comfortable win anymore throughout the rest of the season, and this goes to any T fan of any Pac-12 team, the, the comfortable wins are done. I think no matter whose schedule you look at right now, you're seeing at least five or six more ranked opponents on it, and uh, it's not gonna get easier for any of these schools. So you look at some schools that may have quote unquote survived through here. I'd say California's in that boat. Maybe they're the only school I really have in that boat now. Arizona's looked looked actually pretty good to me. Uh, but you could say Cal survived uh, through this early slate a little bit, going 2-1, and one, although they're damn close to getting out of 3-0 and oh and upsetting Auburn on their home turf. Uh, but I know their schedule is pretty brutal coming up. Arizona's got seven ranked schools in a row consecutively, at least you know schools that are ranked as of right now. Uh, it, the pac 12 is about to probably cannibalize itself for however many years in a row now this is. Uh, the one thing is, is some of these schools at the top do look poised and good enough to kind of rise above. Um, I'd say USC looks the part. Washington looks the part. Uh, and I think we'll get a big peak this weekend in this game between Oregon State and Washington State and see uh, if, if either of these schools can kind of solidify themselves in that regard. Taking a look at Washington's team stats, Cameron Ward is the guy. He is going to be the one you want to look out for. Um, always with his receiving duo, him and Lincoln Victor are a kind of powerful and explosive duo there. Uh, Cam Ward, he leads the team in passing. Obviously, he is he's 14 yards shy of 1,000 yards three games into the season. So this secondary is going to be tested, and this front seven is going to need to get home. And that's really going to be, I think, the, the focal point for the defense this weekend is if you can get pressure on Cam Ward and force up bad throws, and if the secondary can capitalize and continue to, to bat balls up in the air and make timely interceptions, as we've seen so far this season. Uh, we look on the other side of things, their rushing leader is also Cam Ward, and he's got 95 yards this season. So you're not going to see a lot of the rush from the Cougars, which will be interesting to see how uh, Trent Bray plays that. Are you going to want to kind of play into the pass and expect pass more often than not? Or are the Cougs going to try and balance it out and open up the passing game similarly to how Oregon State works it with establishing the run and hitting the big shots off of play actions? Uh, Dylan Payne and Nikaya Watson are going to be their two lead backs. Watson will probably get more carries than Payne, um, but respectively those two have 95 yards and 82 yards each. So it is all about the passing game here. Lincoln Victor has almost double the amount of receptions as the next highest receiver, who is Josh Kelly. 
Um, but they will hit big plays when they can, and they will look to do it. It's not quite the air raid that Mike Leach was, but but don't get me wrong, this is still a team that wants to go through the air and, and wants to strike quick, fast, and often. If I uh, conversely, hold on, let's get a sip of coffee here. If on the flip side, you look at the Oregon State team stats, DJ, 630 yards this season. Again, he's, he's really only played two games. He played um, two halves and then a full game in, in which they've had the lead and have started to run the rock a little bit more often than not, <clears throat> which is where you see Damian Martinez and his 40 carries for 351 yards. Damian Martinez through three weeks is averaging 8.8 yards a carry, which is incredible. Uh, and even not far behind him with another pretty nice-looking numbers, Deshaun Fenwick with 26 carries for 152. He's averaging six yards a carry. So that is going to be the name of the game this week for the Beavers, is run the rock, keep the ball in your hands with the new time rules, new clock rules. Just keep it going, keep it rolling, and, and see how long you can just take the air out of that Washington State defense, or I'm sorry, the Washington State offense. With that, you're wearing down the Washington State defense. If their offense wants to strike fast, their defense ain't going to be too happy about it having to go back out and deal with a top offensive line in the country, a top running back in the country, and three speedy wide receivers and a quarterback who's willing to get the ball into their hands. Matchup-wise, the more I talk about it, the more I go through it, it is going to be if Oregon State can continue to move the chains and, and get past those edge rushers of, of Ron Stone and then I don't know his counterpart's name, but the Cougs have some serious dudes coming off the end. So it's going to be a test for this offensive line. <clears throat> Josh Gray will have his, uh, the whole offensive line, are going to have their days full of in front of them. Uh, but if they can continue to move the ball effectively like they have done, run the ball, and uh, then at that point, it's up to Washington State. If they can and want to score quickly, but put their defense right back out there, uh, by all means, have at it. Uh, but if they want to try and slow their offense down, you get them all out of whack. And I think that plays really, really well for the Oregon State defense, uh, being able to kind of swarm around in Trent Brady to really cook up some blitz schemes coming at you there. So now moving in to predictions for Week four in the Pac-12, it is uh, starting to get hard now. The first three weeks was pretty easy. Uh, I think you can all attest to that. Try to pick games. You maybe reach out one time and try and pick an upset, and it just wouldn't happen. Um, but going down here, <clears throat> I do think Oregon takes care of Colorado. I think Colorado's run um, is kind of starting to come to a close now. As you pull up their schedule here, as I talked about it, everybody's easy quote-unquote schedule is over. Colorado has back-to-back -back dates with Oregon and USC. A little bit of a cushion as they go Arizona State, Stanford. Uh, so ESPN will pump up all of the Dion propaganda and the Colorado hype train just before they have two more ranked matchups against UCLA and Oregon State. <clears throat> and then they've got Arizona to close on against Washington State, and then their rivalry with Utah. So give me Oregon to knock Colorado down to their first loss this year. The Utah-UCLA game <clears throat> is going to be a doozy. 12.30 kickoff on Fox. It'll lead right into the Oregon State game. I don't know. I'm going to say Utah just because they're playing at Rice-Eccles, but Dante Moore looks the part so far. 
and looks like he could lead this UCLA team in there and knock off Utah. I hope Utah wins to set up an incredible matchup next Friday night against Oregon State at Reeser. Um, and for the same reason, I hope the Beavs win, so I'm going to take the Beavs. Never a doubt. They'll go up there and gut out a, a ballsy win and a tough place to play on what will be a raucous environment. Um, but the Beavs prevail, and the Beavs and Cougs will go back to being friends afterwards. <clears throat> and then Arizona-Stanford give me the Wildcats. They continue. They'll move on to 3-1. and one. Stanford, I think, tough roads ahead for them until they get Arizona State. Speaking of Arizona State, they will play host to USC in what I will think will be the biggest blowout of the college football schedule this weekend. I think you've got USC number five in the nation. Arguably, they could be ranked higher than that. I think they could beat a couple teams ahead of them. And then you've got Arizona State, who might be the worst Power 5 team in the land. There's sure that there's some teams uh, out east that have some things to say about that, but... Uh, for, for what I watch, I'll give it to Arizona State. It's the worst Power 5 team. And then Cal is going up to the sound to play the Huskies. And I think the Huskies will take care of that one. And no, no real upsets on the docket this week. Maybe UCLA over Utah. But for prediction's sake, <clears throat> I'm going to take the Utah Utes and set up some big-time matchups in Week 5 on a Friday night in a sold-out Reeser Stadium. I can see it now. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting too excited. Uh, but that will wrap it up for me today. Uh, thank you guys all again for tuning in to another episode of the Beaverman Beat Podcast. Uh, <clears throat> big one this weekend. If you're going up to the Palouse, uh, enjoy it. Have a good time. Uh, it is quite a spectacle up there to attend a game. Uh, awesome fans, awesome venue, awesome setting. Uh, so have fun. Beavs look to snap a streak of losing on the Palouse and come back home with a 4-0 start to the season, 1-0 start to Pac-12 play, and, and really solidify themselves as the top 10, 15 to top 10 team in the nation with a win here. So, signing off, continue to please like, share, send us to your Beaver fans, Beaver friends, anybody and everybody is appreciated. Uh, and until then, I will talk to you next weekend. As always, go Beavs!